So Genesis chapter 11, um, I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And we'll pause there, and I'll again pray one more time before we carry on. Again, our Lord, we just, again, we want to commit this time to you. We thank you for your word, Lord, and Lord, I just ask for your strength and your wisdom as I speak this morning. Uh, Lord, I just pray for what I say to be to be right according to your word and that it would be of help to somebody this morning. So again, we commit the time to you in your name. Amen. So when we get to, to this point in the story, we've been reading or going through the account of Noah and the flood and all these events. And chapter 10 is kind of what we would consider a boring chapter because it just tells us a bunch of names of people and the kids that they had. But it just, it's just showing the process of what took place in the generations of the people and what they did and where they went. And so when we get to, to chapter 11, it's just kind of continuing the story and we have the Tower of... Does anybody else... When I was a kid, this was the Tower of Babel. And then sometime as I was growing up, it switched to Babel. I'm like, when did that happen? Like, how do we learn how to pronounce names better the further we get from when the language was written? Like, I don't understand that. It's kind of like Kiev is now Kiev, right? Like, when did that change happen? <laughs> but let's... Anyway, people are, people are weird. <laughs> Same happened with... Certain books of the books of the Bible, some of the Old Testament books, it used to be Habakkuk and now it's Habakkuk, or you no, know, the other way around. I don't know. Anyway, no, no big deal. <laughs> I should have looked this. I'm preaching today, honest, but I should have looked up this word because I've come to the the thought in my life that the the name Babel is where we get our term babbling from. But I have no idea if there's actually a connection there or if I'm just making that association in my own head. And I really should have looked it up so I could have 
<laughs> told you that which which way is true, but we're going to go with that's where we get our word babble, babbling from, right? And that it would just make sense, but we'll move on. All right, so we get here. The beginning of it says the whole earth was of one language and one speech. Makes sense. Eight whole people got off the ark and started having kids. You would expect them to all speak the same language. It's almost like it shouldn't have needed to have been said, except for the fact that we're looking around at a world where there's all kinds of different languages and we don't hardly understand anybody. And so it's just a point of reference that, you know what, there was a point when everybody did speak the same language. And I'm going to tell you how and why that changed. And so this is where we get to this point where the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Once again, I think I should have looked this up. Has anybody else seen, once again, they think they found Noah's Ark? <laughs> like, I, I haven't looked close at the stuff to see if this is like a, like a new thing, a new, new thing, or if it's just rehashing something that's been known for a while. But, but like, there's, there's always, my whole life, there's been talk of people thinking they knew where Noah's Ark was on this mountain where it landed. And so I, I see there's still people doing that today. I'm just curious if you were to reference this verse, because it says that they traveled from the east to get here. So they traveled from the east, they're heading west, to get to this point of land. And we know where this point is. So I'm just curious if where they're looking at for the ark is east of that. I don't know. <laughs> But they probably should be looking east of that, if, if that's the case. I'm just saying that when we read our Bible, it tells us certain things. And we can trust those details as being accurate. And so if, if we come up with a different conclusion than what the Bible directs us to, it's like, well, you can be pretty sure we're, we're wrong. <laughs> so let's just go with what the Bible says and, and assume it's right, because God knows better than we do. So, we get to verse 3. It says, And they said one to another, Let us make brick and burn them. And they had brick for stone and slime for mortar. And they said, Go, let us build a city and a tower. I'll pause there for a second. This is a while ago. We, we figure about 4,000 years ago. They're making brick, and they have mortar, and they're going to build a tower to reach to heaven. Like, I don't know how tall they felt this tower needed to be to reach to, to what they were going to consider heaven. But I'm guessing it's pretty tall. Which means... Has anybody... Have you ever heard... Critics say that when this stuff was like taking place, they didn't have a written language. They couldn't, you know, they were illiterate and all that. Like people really try to dumb down the people of this time period. 
And yet, I suspect they're building a tower that's equal to, if not greater than most of our skyscrapers of our world today. The engineering that went into the plan to build this thing had to have been significant. They had the right materials, they had the techniques, and it just, this gives us just a little reference of, we know how to make brick. <laughs> we're going to form the brick and we're going to burn it. And it takes burning brick. There's a, a really good, I don't know if it's actually a Christian based, I think it's a Christian based movie, it's called The Last Brickmaker in America. And it goes through this, this older man who makes bricks. And the process of making a clay brick into something solid that you can build with is, is fascinating. And the heat required is very specific. And somehow, these guys knew what that temperature needed to be. They knew how to heat it to that temperature. And they knew how to measure that temperature and then keep it there for the right duration of time. Like, there is some technology that goes into this process. There's some math and design that goes into the building. Like, these are not what we would call primitive people doing these things. There's some, some very advanced people doing these things. And it is interesting when you look in our world and as they study the pyramids and different things, like, our engineers of our world have a hard time figuring out how they did the things that they did. Um, I, I don't get too involved looking at it, but I, I did see just a, a little brief thing about they're looking at this stone structure. I don't even know what the structure was. But they said, it's stone. It's not brick. Like, it's not a man-made thing. It's actually stone. But these massive, massive stones are fit together so tightly you couldn't put a piece of paper between them. They're a perfect fit and not just square, right? Like there's shape to some of this stuff and it fits perfect. These guys that built this stuff way back when were able to do things that we can't figure out how to do today. Solomon said there is no new thing under the sun. Like we think we're coming up with new ideas all the time. Like, no, we're just kind of redoing some of the old ones. Um, maybe some of the, the stuff changes, but overall, there's nothing new. We're not getting smarter. <laughs> they were really smart then, and they knew how to do things. Things that we today can't figure out how they accomplished. And so I'm just looking at historically that we shouldn't look back at these events and think primitive peoples that are, ir that are ir wow, can't come up with words. I'm, I'm the illiterate one. That's the word I wanted. <laughs> They're illiterate, right? That's me. We're not smarter than them. They were very smart, obviously very literate, um, very skilled in design and engineering processes. They wanted to build a city and a tower. Again, as a kid growing up, the significant part of the tower, then it was Babel, now Babel, the Tower of Babel. The significant thing about it is like they're trying to reach heaven. I literally, I just saw a, a meme or a joke, whatever, this week of that. Uh, I don't know why that stuff comes up while I'm looking at, into these topics, but it's like they know. 
But the question was, is if God was worried about them reaching heaven building this tower, what about our airplanes and our space station and the stuff that we have today? Do you ever think about that? It's like, we've gone beyond what they were doing here. Was God concerned that they were going to actually build a tower tall enough to, to reach him? No. <laughs> that would sound kind of foolish. Like, we, we know better, right? Like, you're going to be building for a while. But as a child, I feel like I was taught that that was the issue. That they're, they're trying to build it to heaven, and this somehow is a problem with God. It was like, I'm pretty sure God is not threatened by our ability to build a tall building. That's not what the problem was. And I don't know why that is kind of taught in the Sunday school era of that here's the problem is they're trying to build a tower to heaven. Because the problem is what comes after that in this description. I, maybe I'll elaborate on that. When we've read Genesis in the account of creation, in the creation events, we have there's the firmament and the stuff above the firmament and the stuff below the firmament. And I described at one point, um, you go to the Apostle Paul when he's writing and he's talking about somebody who went to the third heaven because we describe different things as heaven. We can describe the air above the earth as the first heaven. It's the place where the birds fly and the, you know, that kind of stuff. And we still call things that, that the heavens, that's part of it. The next would be a little farther up. Well, so we get the clouds and then we get the stars and the, the sun and the moon and all of that stuff. We call that the heavens. Like, and then the third heaven would be actually God's domain of what we're thinking when we say heaven as this streets of gold and, and that kind of stuff. God's actual physical throne and God's actual dwelling place. This place that we can't actually see with our eyes. That we don't know exactly where that is. But there's more than one thing that we call heaven. And so when they're saying, I'm going to build a tower up to heaven, I actually don't think they're trying to get to where God is. I think they're smarter people than that, even then. If they're smart enough to be able to build that building, they're smart enough to know that they're not making it to where God is. That's not the issue. There's other things that we call heaven, so we can use the word and not mean we're going to make it to God's throne. Let's read from that point and, and see what the next part is. They may reach unto heaven. This is in the middle of verse 4. It says, And let us make a name, lest we be scattered upon the face of the whole earth. Well, here's the issue. is a rebellious spirit against God. Let us make us a name. I'm not going to bow before this God anymore. We're going to make our own gods. We are going to be God. And we're going to do what we want to do. We're making us a name. We're going to glorify us and our abilities and our creation. I'm going to build something that glorifies me. 
right? Here's the issue, is the heart of a rebellious people that they want the glory that's due to God. Well, that's our problem most of the time too, right? <laughs> is that we want glory for the things that we do, the things that we build. If you make something nice, if you create something with your hands, don't you just want to show it to somebody? Right? Look what I made. I've done it. Anybody that's made things likes to show people what they've done, how you've made something. We want to get glory for the thing that we've done. So we have to be careful in that, that we're not stealing the glory that belongs to God. We, we, we could do nothing of ourselves. Um, remember the, the verses, I think it's Jesus speaking, it says, without me, you can do nothing. That is Jesus speaking. Without me, you can do nothing. God's the one that gave you any skill that you have to be able to create anything. <laughs> and therefore, no matter what you've made, no matter how nice and how beautiful or how great the thing is, the glory still belongs to God. That's where it belongs. And the issue, the sin of this people, is that they're trying to steal the glory that belongs to God. That's the lesson we need to learn. Not that we shouldn't build a tower up to heaven. <laughs> right? God doesn't have an issue with us flying airplanes at 30 or 40,000 feet or balloons at... 80,000, whatever. Like, God's not worried that we're going to get too close. We can go to as far in space as we can come up with the technology to, to make us go there. I'm not even arguing about the flat earth and whether we actually made it to space. Let's just say we did. No matter how far we can come up with going, God will never be concerned that we're going to make it too close and that we might... It's like... If I can make a spaceship that can go just that little bit further, I don't need Jesus anymore to get to heaven. I can just fly there. Right? Like it's, it's never going to be an issue. So that's not what God was worried about. That's not the issue here. The issue is people stealing the glory that belongs to God. People creating idols within themselves. There's the problem. Um, I'm going to look at something else in a second, but we'll, we'll read. There, there's one other part. The last phrase in that verse says, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The people didn't want to spread out and populate the, the earth. Maybe this is where we're going to go now. If you just go back um, to chapter 9, verse 1. When Noah and his family got off the ark, God gave some instruction. He gave some instruction. We looked at some of it as far as the food goes. That was a few weeks ago. We looked at God told them they could eat all these different animals and whatnot. Um, but the very first verse in chapter 9 says something very important. It says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, 
Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. The earth had been filled with people at one point that were now destroyed in this flood. And God wants them to, to replenish, fill the earth with people once again, as in scatter abroad and go to every corner of the earth and fill it with people that will give God the glory. That's the, the instruction was to go and multiply and fill the earth. And now these people say, well, lest we be scattered, like we don't want to go and fill the earth. We want to all like huddle together in this one place. You ever notice what happens when you put a lot of people in one place? <laughs> corruption. And the, the more you put, the more corrupt the place seems to become. The, the more sin becomes available and the more prevalent it becomes. Like it's just a, a wicked turning in our world. It's like that's not God's intentions. Like we are supposed to come together like what we are today to fellowship and to glorify God. But God's instruction to them was go spread abroad in the whole earth and multiply and fill this place. You know, God was never concerned about overpopulation. God's still not concerned about overpopulation. We don't need population control. Didn't, not, I wasn't thinking about this part of it when I was doing this, but, but you look at, I've heard all kinds of different numbers, but you could fit the entire population of the world in a very small space, which in turn leaves an incredible amount of space available on which we could grow food. There is no issue on this planet with the ability to grow enough food to feed the number of people, and you can multiply it many times over. And there is still plenty of fertile land on this planet in which we could grow food to feed our world. There is no food shortage if we were willing to grow the food and do the things we're supposed to do. That's not the issue. Our our corrupt world tells us we have a population problem, and we really don't. We have a corruption problem. We have a sin problem, really. It's not a problem of God's creation not being able to sustain what God told us to do on the planet. It's worth looking into if you've never heard that before. So, we see an instruction, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and then we can carry on in this, and we see um, the results of this. I said in chapter 10, we see some more of that. Um, we'll go to, before we get to chapter 10, verses 18 and 19 in Genesis 9, <clears throat> also says, And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan, these are the, the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And so it's, it appears like they began to do what God instructed. But obviously there's a problem as we carry on. And we get into chapter 10, and it's describing that process 
and it's describing the sons of, or the children of these three sons of Noah, and describes where some of them settled and whatnot. And so let's look at, uh, we start in chapter 10, verse 8. It says, And Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kelneth, in the land of Shinar. This is, if you paid attention to where they are doing this, it was in the land of Shinar. And Babel has become Babylon, is what the common wisdom is in any case. So we actually know where this was. And we know the land based on Shinar, and there's this mighty hunter before the Lord named Nimrod. And he was, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? That this person is named, and this is his kingdom, and this is what he did. And he became the catalyst for the problem. Which is why we need to pray for our, our church, or our country's leaders, the governments, is because it's the leadership that will drag a nation away from the path that they're supposed to be on. And we can see that is happening very much in our country right now. We get to verse 5. So we'll go back to chapter 11, verse 5. It says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. That's a neat statement. It's almost, it feels like Remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden and God came and walked and talked with them in the garden, visited with them? It says God came down to see what the people were doing. I like that. That's a, maybe that's a scary thought. <laughs> but it's a, it's a, God's interested in our lives and in the things that we're doing. That's what I see there, is that God has taken a personal interest in the things that we do, the things that we make. It doesn't seem like God was upset about what they're building. I don't think the structure is an issue in the slightest. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. It's like, oh, that's nice. It's like us with our kids when they're playing with Lego, right? It's like, oh, look at that that you've made. <laughs> Isn't that cute? I, I think that's kind of the attitude of God. As us looking at our children, that's God looking at us as his children and the things that we make. And we, we're so proud of the things that we make and God's like, that's cute. <laughs> that's nice. And he, like, he humors us with this stuff, but it's not, it's not impressing him in the slightest. <laughs> um, verse 6, though, things change a little bit. It says, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. 
And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. God's not happy with, and it's not absolutely clear in this description, but it, when you look at the whole picture, as I'm pointing out, I think it's the attitude of the people and them trying to refrain from doing what God commanded as far as spreading on the earth and, and multiplying. They want to stay together lest we be scattered. And then they want to build something for their own glory. And so I think that's the problem, and I think that's what God is seeing. It's not a problem with what they built, it's the attitude around the thing of what, what they're doing and their, what they're trying to accomplish in eliminating God from, from their lives and from their instruction. And so, we have a very unique thing happens at this point. We have a very rare event takes place, at least at this scale, where God intervenes and changes the course of mankind, like in a very, very big way. Verse 7 says, Let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. It says God scattered them, but it's not like God picked them up and moved them. God did something that caused them to scatter, and it was he confounded the language, like that they won't understand each other. This is the origin of our many languages that exist in our world, is that people, can you imagine, like, how weird would that be that I start talking and all of a sudden now you can't understand what I'm saying because I'm talking a different language than what you understand? Like, well, that would be a really strange thing when we started off speaking the same language. But that's what this says happened. And because of that, the confusion that ensues when we can't understand each other Me and Jen are doing stuff last night and this morning. I'll get into that some other time. But I couldn't hear what she was saying. She's trying to talk to me, and I was like, say that again, I couldn't hear you. And she said, and I still couldn't, it was literally, it was almost like this. Like, I just, for whatever reason, I could not make out the words that she was saying. And this is how that feels, and it's frustrating, right? Like, it's infuriating when you can't communicate with the people around you to tell them what you need or want or... <laughs> right? There's a, it, it's hard. And the thing got so bad that they, it was like they couldn't communicate. They couldn't work together. And it was like, give up on this thing and they, off they go. And they end up doing what, sort of at least, what God had originally commanded them to do in the first place. But it's because now God had to, had to intervene to cause them to do it when they refused to obey. And so it's like God just came in and was like, no, you need to actually do what I said. And I'm going to put a circumstance in your life that's going to cause you to think that you chose to do 
Now, I'm not saying God controls every detail of our lives. But I can see that God will intervene when we're going off course and not obeying and doing what God wants us to do. And God really wants us, remember Jonah? God really wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh. And no matter what Jonah did, God was going to put something in his path that was going to keep shoving him that direction. And so Jonah, in the end, thinks he made the decision to go to Nineveh, where, in fact, like no matter what he did, he was going to land there. <laughs> and sometimes that's God in our lives, is God will intervene in a way that makes us think that we made the decision to, to do what he was trying to command us to do in the first place. I think God, in his mercy and grace, allows us to make choices, but will intervene in our lives to go, to get us to make the choice that we need to make to put us where he really wants us to be. That's a, that's a, that's a big topic, right? Like you start to get into that and it's like, well, do we actually have free will to do what I want or is God manipulating everything I do? Like, no, I don't, I don't see that in Scripture, that, that God's manipulating everything and every aspect of our lives. We, we have choice, and we can disobey God. And he allows us to disobey him. And he gives consequence for disobey. Like, read the stories, and you'll see time after time where God wants somebody to do something, and it very clearly says that they disobeyed and did something different. And God allows them to, to disobey. And often there's a consequence for that, or, or whatever. But like, we don't see God manipulating every detail of every life to make everything work exactly the way he wanted it to do. Like, that's not what, we, what we're describing. We're just saying there are circumstances where God will intervene and change your course. And maybe we shouldn't be waiting so long to get to the point where we lose our language and our ability to talk to our family members. <laughs> Or get tossed overboard of a ship like Jonah and swallowed by a very large sea creature that pukes us up on shore in the direction that we're supposed to go. Like, maybe we should start listening. I, I said last week that you know God will discipline us and will do things to get our attention to straighten us up. Well, this is another aspect of of that kind of thing where God wants us to go a certain direction and sometimes he really wants us to go that direction and he's he'll give a hint maybe an instruction and when we don't listen sometimes the consequence of the not listening can get harsh it would just be easier to listen to pause in our life and it's like, God, maybe I didn't hear you clearly. What, what do you want me to do? That would be a good question for us, wouldn't it? Like, where, where would you like me to go? We've had some difficult ones in our lives. Like, you know, we're, we're struggling with this whole Bible camp thing. It's like, why in the world did we give that up? It's such a wonderful place. And you look at what God's doing there right now. It's like, why aren't we running that thing now? Oh, because 
God had a different direction for us. Um, and we see that, but it's like you're torn between these things. And sometimes you wonder, is like, did we make the right choice? Or, or did we actually listen to God before it got so harsh that he had to tear us out of there in some horrific way, right? We still, thankfully, have a great relationship with the camp and the camp ministry. And we're able to be friends with the new directors that are doing the job that we felt God called us to do seven years ago. That's a, that's a difficult process. But sometimes you just, but we listened to God and it was like, if you were around when I gave some of that story of that process of God helping us to make that final decision, it's a goofy story. This is not something significant that would tell anybody that God is speaking to them. And yet we were 100% certain that the events surrounding our sick dog and whatever, this journey, was absolutely God telling us and confirming to us, yes, make that decision. It's like, this is like, it, it's honestly, it's a goofy story. I'll tell it again someday, but not today. Sometimes it's better to listen early, <laughs> to take the hints instead of waiting for like something harsh to come. Um, these people at Babel had the opportunity to obey God. They had instruction from God, and it's not many generations back. The story of Noah and the flood would have been very fresh in their minds. God's judgment and just God's demand for people to obey, right? Like, should have been clear in their minds. And yet they... They disobeyed. They thought they knew better. There's some interesting, um, maybe someday we'll, we'll look at the details of the genealogies, but if you look at the, the lifespan of certain individuals, um, the, people have talked about like who Abraham would have been able to know from the descendants of Noah. And it's like, when, when Abraham was born, and you look at the lifespan of these people that lived after the flood, it's like the overlap is, is incredible. It's like that span of time is not near as far as we often imagine it to be. And so the stories, the direct stories of the descendants, like, can you imagine it, if it was your parents or your grandparents that went through that? It's like, no, nah, Grandma, you're, you're exaggerating. It's like, like no, <laughs> like, go look, the boat's still over there. Like, it, it's, but to go that quickly, to fall away from God's instruction that quickly, is something that we just have to guard against very carefully in our lives. The tendency within churches is if you have a, a family and the, the parents in that family are zealous for God and they want to serve, they're active in their church and they're faithful and they're doing, they're witnessing, they're, they're just actively serving God. The chances 
of their children being in church after they've left home is fairly high, but they won't be as involved. They won't be as faithful. And the grandchildren maybe won't be made to go to Sunday school all the time and the VBS. And, and by the, the third generation, they're often no longer in church at all once they become adults. That's how quickly these things fall apart. We, we go read um, the stories as we go through the Bible, the Old Testament, and, and the kings. And it's like, you get a righteous king that rules and loves God and directs the country, the nation, to serve God correctly. It's like the very next one, like it's his kid and was more wicked than all the kings before him. <laughs> like did you did you not teach your children anything but it's not always that we didn't try to teach our children it's like they they make their own choices and just because i'm zealous for god doesn't mean my children are going to be zealous for god it it can fall apart quickly we need to be very careful in those things and we need to to teach our children to be sensitive to God's instruction, so that God doesn't have to be destructive in their life, <laughs> right? That it doesn't have to turn to this and to Jonah. I didn't put Noah in the whale today, did I? <laughs> it was Jonah the whole time. <laughs> okay. Anyway, let's let's pray. Father, as we look at these events that we see laid out in Scripture, Lord, is uh, seeing your hand in people's lives is, is what we're trying to look at um, and trying to see that your hand is active in our lives today as well and that we also need to be sensitive to that and, and to respond so that you don't have to get more harsh with us to get us to respond, Lord. So help us to be soft to you, to listen to that still small voice. So Lord, we commit this to you, asking for your hand on each one of our hearts. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.